big beat manifesto goes, big beats are the best, get high all the time. Right. At the time, it felt like a much more all-encompassing philosophy. Most people just go around nodding to the last opinion they heard, don't they? I agree. Excuse me, Melvin. Is one of you getting in? Bye, then. Bye. Thanks for a lovely afternoon of French cinema. Au revoir, mon ami. Indeedy. This is all so fucking sophisticated. See you tomorrow. A demain. No, you demain. <laughs> Why is that funny? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the El Dude Brothers podcast, episode 45, Saint Hospital. My name's Sean and Laura. I have a giant confession to make. I'm a pedophobe. Well, thank you for clearing that up, Sean. I had always wondered. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, well, we got through series six alive. Yes, so that's good. we did. I'm, I'm pleased to be heading towards or into series seven now, which I have much more positive feelings about. Yes, me too. I, I have much more positive feelings. And after watching this episode, I feel like that my feelings were um, totally... Um, justified yeah me too me too what have you been up to so, anything uh no no not not much just you know work and work and some work on top of that so <laughs> um well as we do every season or almost every season what was going on in your life in november of 2010 so i just started going out with phil who is now my husband um, we started going out on October the 15th, so we hadn't been going out for very long. You said this aired on the 26th of November, 2010. Yes. Um, this, has got, this episode's got a special place in my heart because it was the first episode that we ever watched together live, like a new episode, and we were very excited. I remember us sitting down to watch it with uh, in Phil's house with his housemate, and we'd ordered a Chinese to celebrate, so we were having a Chinese and watching Peep Show. What about you? Um, yeah, my wife and I had moved into a little rental house together. I was working for an eye doctor. We were, we had been engaged for just about a year now at this point. And when did you yeah, get married? Just... Did you get married pretty soon after this season, Ed? Uh, no, we didn't get married until 2012. Oh, okay. So you had quite a long engagement. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We had, we had a fairly substantial engagement. Ah, cool. We'll be in like series seven or eight uh, yeah probably or excuse me we'll be in series eight i think will be wedding time uh trying to think yeah us two we got married we got married after the end of trying to think the last one that we watched together before we got married i think it was yeah the beginning of series eight because there was a massive gap wasn't there i believe so yeah 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 uh 29 december 2010 was the series uh seven finale mm-hmm and then 25 November 2012 was the Series 8 premiere. Yeah, yeah, so we got married after Series 8 as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So buckle up, because I've got some serious views about this episode. All right, so let me just ask, I guess I have another question for you. At the time, and obviously I know this was a long time ago, what was your uh, anticipation level for this episode? Oh, yeah, really high. So I think we'd waited, only waited a year or just over a year, because I think the previous series was 2009, like the autumn before, but obviously it had ended on a massive cliffhanger, so was very keen to see if the baby would have been born and they were going to go forward in time, or 
where we're going to pick up right where we left off. And obviously we do pick up right where we left off. Yeah, that's one thing I really like about this episode is that it's literally like takes place a couple hours maybe after the end of the last one. Yeah, yeah, we'll go straight in there. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, last question. Are you excited for the big game between my new favorite football club, the Hotspurs <laughs> and the Watford Hornets? Um, so obviously the Hotspurs or Spurs as we call them here in England are my like my family team. So I'm going to root for them. I know nothing about Watford though. The only thing I know about Watford is that Elton John maybe still is or used to be their chairman. Well, the thing that I'm super confuses me about Watford is that they're called the Hornets, but their logo is a fucking moose. Okay, that's weird. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe, I mean, I've been to Watford and I didn't see any Hornets, but maybe Watford is like, a, you know, a natural area of interest in terms of Hornets. Maybe a lot of Hornets less there. I have no idea, but... but <laughs> I don't know. This information must be out there. Have you tried Googling it? I have not. Yeah, maybe one of our kind listeners is a Watford fan and can explain to me why they're called the Hornets and not mm. the Mooses. Why the Watford Hornets? Mm, no. <laughs> Compelling podcasting here. <laughs> no, I can't, I can't see any information. It just takes me straight to the Hornet shop, which confusingly, as you say, does have a lot of merch covered in Mooses. So... I have no idea. Someone, if you know, please tell us. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting. <laughs> so All how right. did you uh, feel about this episode before you watched it? Did you remember enjoying it? Yes, I did. I really remembered enjoying this episode a ton. Yeah. Um, a lot of, lot of little good jokes in here. A lot of just little plot development and... Um, some kind of jarring introductions of new characters. Yes, yeah, um, I would agree with that. I, I really remember liking this one, although, as I say, buckle up because I've got some views. I, um, I've i had two labours, obviously, that were quite different. One was natural and one was induced, and neither of them were like this. So I've, I, I've got some views, as I say. All right, well, I'm excited. <laughs> also, for everybody that listened to Das Boot, um, I talked to my mom and... Had it been two girls, it would have been Lindsay and Amber. Oh, I think you so, look like an Amber. <laughs> yeah, I narrowly avoided being called Amber. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah, or Bo, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, are you ready to dive into this puppy? I'm ready to dive in. All right. Well, so we just kick right off with uh, Mark in the waiting room. <laughs> He's looking at a vending machine, and he's just trying to decide if he should get chipsticks or frazzles. Definitely chipsticks. I, I wonder what your opinion on this was. What would you go for? I've like, never had either. Oh, okay, so, so chipsticks are like a salt and vinegar stick, and frazzles are a bacon-flavoured, like, fake bacon thing. Ooh, I'm going to go salt and vinegar every yeah, time. Yeah, me too. I'm glad, I'm glad you say that. You're on the right side of history for this one. <laughs> <laughs> i like this part too where jeremy's kind of standing off to the side and he's got a book about like fucking childbirth and then he just says the fetal head passes below the per the pubic arch at this point the woman may feel a burning or stinging and mark just says the phrase no shit sherlock comes to mind <laughs> this reminded me of what my mom and sister were apparently doing the night i was in labor with my eldest daughter 
which was reading all of the terrible things that could happen to me, basically. And I'm glad I only found this out afterwards because when they came to see the baby, my mum was like, oh yeah, me and Rachel were sat up all night just reading about like all the terrible things could have happened to your vagina. And I was like, well, I'm so glad that you were entertaining yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I only found this out afterwards. Yeah, I also enjoy the part where Jeremy's like, uh, what's an epistiotomy? And Mark just says, you don't want to know, mate. <laughs> and then uh, he says, you know, the area between your bum and your genitals, that area. And Jeremy's just like, yeah, that's one of my favorite areas. And he's like, imagine someone sniffing it with scissors. <laughs> and then Jeremy's just like, oh, my fucking life. <laughs> I did wonder, though, that if Mark knows what an episiotomy is, he's obviously read the book. So why is Jeremy reading the book to him now? Like, it's a bit weird. Maybe Jeremy's reading it for his own information. I mean, Mark is not necessarily a dumb guy. Oh, God. And fucking Jeremy is a nurse. A nurse. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, this Jesus would have come Christ. up. Yeah, this is that, that makes it even more irritating that he's reading the book aloud. But I guess for comedy value, he has to. Yeah. Um, Jeremy says what I think, which is, <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he says the worst thing that can happen to him is being sent off to war. Yep. Yeah. But even in but in a war he can find a cave, eat blackberries and tug himself <laughs> off until it's over. In light of all the um the stuff with Syria, one of my students this week asked me uh, about conscription and I assured him that I thought it would be basically impossible to conscript people now. Do you think that's the case? Do you think if they tried to conscript people, basically everyone would do a Jeremy and just say no and they'd go off and hide in a cave? Well, I mean, in the U.S., we still do have, technically have our draft. Well, I think we so. do as well, but I just can't see how you do it. I just think there'd be, people would just say no. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree, too. Um, I mean, I think that there would just be so many ways that you could get out of it. Yeah, exactly. You know? This I, I assured this kid in my year eight class that he was fine. He wasn't going to get conscripted. It makes me sad that people are even worried about this in 2018. I know, poor kid, he's 12. He doesn't need to be worried about that, does he? I know, he should be worried about, like, uh, when puberty is going to start, <laughs> not when yeah. you know, he's going to be uh, conscripted he into to, the When he's going to start uh, shaving. But maybe I'll just say, look, the worst comes to the worst, you can just go to a cave and eat blackberries. I won't say the other thing to him, because that would be... <laughs> That'd be problematic for me, but <laughs> but yeah, I'll just tell him it's all fine. You can go to a cave, eat blackberries, and just wait till it's over. Yeah, we also find out at this point that um, Sophie's family is on their way, but they're about five or six hours away, and Mark is terrified that he's going to have to be the birth partner. And then um, Mark and Jeremy have a really funny conversation that I fucking love, which is where Mark confesses to being a pedophobe, and Jeremy just looks at him and he's like, oh, right. And then in his head, he's like... Oh my life! And <laughs> what should I do? Punch goes, him in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Act supportive or punch his lights out. <laughs> yeah. And then he just asks. He asks Mark so nicely. He's like, "What are you going to get help for?" <laughs> I mean, I don't know what sort of help you can. And then Mark just like, "I don't know what sort of help you can get for an irrational fear of children." And Jeremy's just like, "Oh, pedophobe. Oh, yeah, gotcha." Yeah, I remember this joke making us laugh a lot of the time. Um. Also. Then the the midwife comes out and she updates Mark on the situation. And she says that if Sophie's no further along, they can give her a cervical sweep. And Jeremy says, chim, chim, cheree, which gets the biggest laugh of the beginning of the episode for me. It really, really, really amused me. It's the casual way he says it. <laughs> He's like, oh, 
Chim Chim Tree. <laughs> I wondered if six weeks early the label would be allowed to continue in this way because obviously both of my children were born at term. So I asked my best friend who is a midwife and she said that the label would be allowed to happen but she didn't think it would happen like this. She thought that Sophie would be being monitored more because the baby would be quite small and its lungs would be underdeveloped. So another plot point that uh, doesn't quite work in real life medical terms. Man, we're just going to be destroying this one. Destroying the, this uh, one, yeah. Um, she yeah. said that. Um, that she said that to ask you what what would go on with an early birth because, uh, and to quote her, Americans are crazy. Probably they, her, his sister had an MD deliver her babies, and it probably cost a million dollars. So my French training seems to have taken in that your labors are generally more medicalized than ours are. Um, yeah, I, I. I think that's the case. Um, she said she thought that in America, most, almost everyone had an epidural as standard. I don't know if that's standard, but I do think it's pretty common. Mm, yeah, I think it's about 50-50 here. So I think that, uh, yeah, it's more, it's probably less likely that you'd be having like water births and stuff like that unless you were full on hippie, whereas they're quite sort of standard NHS thing here, I think. Uh, well... You know what's interesting is that I have a friend who's about to have a baby about eight weeks early, so I will uh, get with her this yeah, weekend. Ask her, see see what see what she says. They both uh, are putting on a front that they're you know ready for it, but I'm not sure that they're like really ready for I it. I think it's but... weird because like all through the pregnancy, from as soon as you know you're pregnant, you've got this like date in mind. So if it's much earlier than that, you probably feel a bit like, oh no, this is not when it's meant to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I think they're still, I don't, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't even think they have all the baby stuff yet. <laughs> no, definitely not. Like we, and we're told here, I don't know, it's the same over there, but like we're told to wash all the baby's clothes before they're born so that they don't have like, I don't know, factory chemicals on them or whatever. And like, <laughs> I hadn't done that. I remember when we were going to the hospital, when I thought I might be in labour and it was like, oh, but I've not washed the baby's clothes and stuff. Like, I was really not ready. The cot wasn't up. I hadn't washed the baby's clothes. Like, it just wasn't on my radar that it could happen yet. As a person who has two kids, are you ever amazed that you were able to make it through adulthood knowing all the stuff that you know about child raising now? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, there's so much of it. Well, I mean, like, the fact that you're supposed to wash the baby's clothes, because I guarantee you my folks didn't do that. No, yeah, they definitely is exactly like my mum and dad were, and my mum and dad were quite hippie, I think, in their approach. But when I when I hear some of the things that they did, and it's like, oh my God, like, like advice at the time was to put us to sleep on our front and stuff like that. Like, cop bumpers, put us to sleep on our front in our own room when we were about two weeks old like it's yeah i don't know how i'm not dead i definitely but i think all it proves is that babies are hardier than you think they are yeah uh <laughs> i'm not gonna finish what i was gonna say but okay. <laughs> i mean god our for our own for our parents it was even worse like our grandparents probably smoked through their pregnancies and drank through their pregnancies and you know as a generation they're basically fine the baby will be, like, nice and small if you smoke, so the birth should be easier. That's the theory. <laughs> I mean, I'm not advocating this. I'm just saying if social services are listening, I didn't do this, but I have heard that as a people from the past sort of thing. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, we'll see what happens. Uh, um, so as we as we progress on through the scene, um, oh god, we just have just now we're just now getting to Sophie's room for the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we go we move into Sophie's hospital room where she is in active labor. Yeah, she's like kneeling on her uh she's like on all fours kind of like hunched over a little bit and um you know mark pops in and he's like listen i've got good news your mom and your dad are on your way but hold your horses just one second because they are on their way from northumberland so <laughs> when she gets here i am very much your man yeah and she says oh fucking hell <laughs> which i think you would feel if mark was going to be your birth partner she is at the stage where the contractions are clearly quite close together, but she's not, you know, fully there yet. She's not ready to push. And she's asking Mark for the TENS machine. Yeah, and I really love this because Mark just is acting like completely, he's just like, doesn't know what to do. And then his phone rings and he's like, oh, hold on, might be your mum. Hello? Oh, what? The boiler? Oh, you're kidding. Oh, oh, God. Oh God! And then uh, he looks at Sophie and he's like, "The boiler. It's nothing. It's cool. It's nothing. Minor explosion." <laughs> yeah, um, it always makes me laugh because it is exactly the nightmare scenario for Mark because he doesn't know what to be more anxious about now. He doesn't know whether to be more anxious about the labor, which he's got no control over, or more anxious about his flat, which is flooding. <laughs> yeah, I really love the boilers the subplot in this episode because it just it it takes place like sight unseen you don't know anything about it like everything is in your head so to speak yeah yeah apart from seeing hands in the van we never actually see any evidence of the the boiler transaction or it being fixed but yeah it's very funny that it's probably funnier yeah. because we don't see it yeah um i really also enjoyed when sophie asked for the tens machine because if you had asked if you had asked me three weeks ago what a tens machine was, I had no idea. Um, but I bought a little tens machine when I hurt my back th a couple weeks ago, and it is fucking incredible. Yeah, I really like the tens machine. Um, it really worked for me. But I've said like really this scene when she's sort of in like mid labor. I don't really remember anything about this stage with either of them because I really abused the gas and air. Like was mad for the gas and air, so it's all a bit of a druggy <laughs> haze. But I really remember the TENS machine working really well, but maybe that was because I was so off my face. But I do remember it being actually quite... It, it doesn't stop the pain, does it? But it kind of... If you can imagine something giving you more pain, making you feel better, it, like, gives you endorphins, I think, that make the yeah. pain... But, like, it, it's, yeah. it's basically electrocuting yourself, but in a nice way. But it's, like, a really good kind of hurt? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a good... It's a good electrocution. Yeah. Um... Sophie tells Mark that he needs to calm down, and so Mark just starts, you know, oh, placid lake of water, placid lake of water, filling up my flat from the gushing broken boiler. <laughs> she then says that she wants, um, she she the, clearly they've had a conversation previously about a water birth. She wants the pool. Has the nurse said anything about the pool? And Mark isn't sure about water birth. He's like, mm, isn't it a bit hippie? He's not convinced. No, no, he's not convinced. Um, but because Mark is a good person, quote unquote, sort of. <laughs> he, 
<laughs> sort of. He decides to go get the pool, and as he's walking out, Sophie says, and remember to ask for one of the nets for the poo and bits. <laughs> oh, oh. oh. So, uh, what are your thoughts on water birth? Were you all like, oh, I'll be all natural, but then when Sadie started coming, you were like, oh, fuck that? Um, so, I couldn't have a water birth because I was on blood thinners because I've got a blood condition. that I've got too many platelets, so that makes your blood clot too much. So I was on blood thinners, so I didn't get a, um, uh, what they call a DVT. Um, but that meant that I couldn't have a water birth because if you then bleed in, like, if you hemorrhage, they can't measure how much blood you've lost in the water because obviously it's diluted. So if you're at risk of hemorrhaging, you have to do it on dry land. Uh, but I think I would have had a water birth if I could have done. I quite like the idea. Um, and with Sadie, my first one, I had a completely natural labour apart from the gas and air. Um, so I didn't. I didn't crack and I didn't want the epidural. So I thought I was like superstar and so good at labor. And then with my second daughter, I has I was I was in I I was I was in labor but it wasn't progressing quick enough. So I got induced so they gave me the hormone drip and they when they come to give you the hormone drip they're like we're going to warn you this is going to crank this up to 11 it's going to be really bad. So and I was like before they could finish the sentence I was like give me the epidural give me the epidural. Um so I wasn't as brave as I thought I was. But then the epidural didn't work. And I was like, it's like a one in 2000 chance that could happen. So you just, you sign it. I mean, not that I could sign my own name very well by that point, but you signed it thinking, oh, it will definitely work. And it didn't work. And I was like, oh, brilliant. So I've just had the massive needle in my spine and it's not even done the job. So I had two bursts without any pain relief other than gas and air. And I do not recommend it, I have to say. And I, because I thought I was so brave with Sadie, I now realise that was just because it didn't hurt that much. With Esther, it hurt so much. But I'll talk more about that in a minute. When I um, was asking, when I was talking to Nicole about this a little earlier today, I said, oh, you know, when we have kids, are you wanting to do a natural? And before I could even finish, she just, like, her head swiveled. <laughs> <laughs> and she looks at me and she goes oh no i'm getting the epidural <laughs> oh my god i've still i'm still on team jeremy here glad i don't have to go through this <laughs> yeah um the next scene that we move into swiftly is jeremy in the waiting room uh having a little think about elena and i think this might be the last ever mention of elena i don't think she's ever brought up again well no, because we meet Zahara here. Beautiful Zahara, who I do think is genuinely very beautiful. Oh, it is Zahara. I don't know why I keep calling her Zahara. Because there's an H. For some reason, it's spelt with an H in the middle of it. Oh, okay, okay. I don't know why. Like Meghan Markle, who has got a random, erroneous H in her name, hasn't she? Yes, she sure does. Yeah. I will put that on you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, she does. I don't it... know why those names can sometimes be spelt with an H. Yeah. So, um, I, my question for you is when you first saw Zara, what was kind of your thought of her? Um, I thought she was very beautiful and I thought that, but I sort of reached the point in Peep Show where every season Jeremy gets a new love interest. So I think I thought, oh, this won't last very long, particularly after Elena, who literally lasts for one series I think I thought. I think I thought exactly what happens, which is, oh, so this is Jeremy's bird for this this series. What about you? 
Zara had been built up for me a lot by Lee, where he said that, you know, she's the hottest girl in Peep Show. She's, you know, the best. And, oh, my God, I love her. And, you know, oh, she's the best. She's the best. She's the best. So I went in thinking, like, okay, this girl is going to be the best. And, you know, then just kind of, I don't know. Meh. She's there. She drives the plot. She's out. Yeah, she's a very one-dimensional character. And like you say... She's there to drive the plot forward and not much else. She is another example of the Bechdel test being well and truly failed in Peep Show. She, I would say she's another example of a one-dimensional female character who is very funny and played with, like, and there's no criticism on the actress who is working with the material she's got, but the female characters are never quite as fleshed out as the male characters in Peep Show. Yeah, I agree. Um, Zara is played by... Camila Beepoot? Uh, Camila. Yeah, Camila. Yeah, I think you're pronouncing that right. Beepoot. I don't know how you say it, but yeah. Yeah, she is currently playing. She's currently on a show called Save Me, which apparently is really good. Oh, right. And she plays a character named Zeta, who is Nellie's occasional girlfriend and also a stripper. Oh, okay. I can't imagine her as a stripper. So she must have done quite a good job at being Zara because I cannot, uh, can't imagine that. <laughs> um, Zara is reading a book called The Famished Road, and Jeremy wants to know if that's a sequel to the one, you know, the one about the end of the world, The Road. <laughs> yeah, this and... did make me laugh. Um, as an English joke, I did laugh at that. Yeah, Zara says oh, that's a good one. And Jeremy goes, uh, thinks to himself, like, I didn't even know it was a one. <laughs> yeah. Um, she explains that she is, or Jeremy asks why she's there, says, you don't need to tell me if it's disgusting. And she explains that she is there because her boyfriend's in a coma. I'm not sure that antenatal and the uh, intensive care ward would share a waiting room, <laughs> but apparently they do. Um, and um, she explains that he's not in a good way. He is unconscious and they don't know when he's going to wake up. Yeah. And Jeremy says out loud, that's Tara, Tara Bill or terrible. But in his head, he's thinking Tara Brill, which makes no sense. But it's just Jeremy kind of justifying that he's not lying to Zara about what he's saying. I was watching. So I was watching this episode today um, earlier on whilst my children were pottering around downstairs. And Sadie, who is just coming up for four, she was doing something else and I didn't even think she was watching or listening. And she said, why did Jeremy just say terrible when it's terrible? And that really made me laugh. A, that she was correcting the, the grammar and B, that she knows it's Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're raising good kids, Laura. You're yeah. raising good kids. Yeah. Yeah, so this next scene, we have Mark coming up to the nurse's desk. This is really funny because he's trying to put some bass in his voice for uh, getting Sophie the pool. Yeah, he's trying to sound authoritative. Um, he says he doesn't believe in it, but in his head he thinks he's Kalashal back in Iraq. Trini and Susanna endorsing Nescafe. Um, Trini and Susanna were a, still are, I guess, a pair of fashion TV gurus who used to make over middle-aged women and tell them what to wear on their programme, what not to wear. And for some inexplicable reason, they also endorsed Nescafe, which is a brand of instant coffee. And obviously, Claire Short uh, was a Labour politician who uh, later came out and said that she didn't believe in the war in Iraq. Interesting. Interesting. Why is Mark saying Iraq as well? That really bothers me that since that all happened, 
we all now say Iraq like Americans or Northerners, and he's neither. Uh, I mean, how do you say it? Iraq. Iraq. Iraq, like with a long R sound in it. But I'm sure that we say that now the official, like the official pronunciation line is Iraq because of you guys. But you, you don't even say Iraq, do you? you say Iraq. Um, <laughs> I'm going to Iraq. Going to Iraq. I think I say Iraq. Yeah. I don't know. I guess. Yeah, I'm fuck, sure. I guess I never thought about how I pronounce it now. I'm sure so that we're self conscious yeah, about I'm it. Yeah, I'm sure Thanks. that we're pronouncing it because of America, which just makes me cross. Because what's next? We're going to be saying pedophiles and I don't know what else do you mispronounce. Like that. It's just going to call it soccer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Soccer it's just football. like oh god, we're just we really are just going to be the fifty fourth state or however many states you have. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why I can't go to a 4th of July party, Sean. <laughs> you, you can and you will. You can and you will. Anyway, Mark is... Think about, think about Sadie and Esther. Think about how fun it's going to be on a beach, watching fireworks, fucking just, all-you-can-eat hot dogs. I just don't want them to think that's right. I don't want them to think that's right. We're... We're we're gonna celebrate our own countrymen's downfall. It just doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> it, you could just be like the people that carry Confederate flags around in the United States. Like you, you're celebrating the history, not the result. I suppose I can sort of see it from that angle, but I'm still cross about the pronunciation of of Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. This show. <laughs> Where were uh, we? Oh, yeah. So, anyways. Yeah. So, Mark is trying to get this birthing pool. And uh, <laughs> the poor nurse behind the desk says, you know, both uh, both birthing pools are occupied. Mark says, look, I need a pool, okay? We want a natural birth. God knows that some people aren't convinced of the benefits of water birth. But I, for one, am not one of them. So, please, could you sort that out? And she just says, I'll see what I do. I'll see what I can do. And Mark just says, good day. And he walks off and he thinks to himself, good day? God, I'm so stern. <laughs> um, he says that he mentioned it to the previous midwife and she says that it wasn't, or no, he says, where was the other midwife that was here? And she says oh, that the, she's... The nice one. Yeah, the nice one. And says that she's gone off shift. And this is a real problem when you're in labour because obviously shifts last for so many hours and labour is notoriously long. And you often end up with more than one midwife. And, and this happened with me, with my second daughter. We had the nicest midwife in the world. She was like Cockney Jan, we called her. She was sort of the earth. She was kind. She was like your aunt. We loved her. And then she knocked off shift and we got this woman who was like the ice queen and didn't even want to talk to us. And it's absolutely, your heart sinks when there's a shift change and you get a horrible midwife. Oh, that's... That's a sad That's story. That's a sad story, yeah. yeah. Um, at this point, Jeremy walks in with an extra cup of co- with two cups of coffee, mm-hmm. and um, he just says, how's it going, dude? And Mark just says, oh, I estimate we're looking at a five-centimeter cervix, <laughs> plus the boilers exploded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Jeremy's just like, oh, that is shit. Um, but he offers to sort the boiler out. And then Mark takes the other coffee and Jeremy just thinks, hey, that's Sahara's. 
it's a good thing I'm not the kind of guy who would never spike a coffee with Rohypnol. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and it tells you something about the sickness that is Jeremy's mind that he even thinks this. Yeah. Um, Mark can't be in his right mind at this point to be allowing Jeremy to deal with the boiler. He must be so anxious about the baby that he isn't thinking straight. Oh my straight. god, I know. Yeah, this is a very unmark thing to happen. I think that probably in this point, Mark is just so overwhelmed that he's just given up and is just going to decide to just go with the flow. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he thinks things can't really get any worse. So, fuck it. Let Jeremy deal with the boiler. Yeah. Um, Mark walks back into the hospital room and he tells Sophie that he got the pool and Sophie's like, fuck that. I don't want the pool. I just want an epidural. Someone smack me on the head or just fuck... <laughs> yeah, I I laughed at this a lot because I don't think quite at five centimeters you're at this stage, but when it reaches that point, like the smack you on the head stage, I remember with Esther that so because the epidural didn't work and then there wasn't time to get the anaesthetist in to sort it out before I started wanting to push and she came like I didn't push for very long. She was born very quickly, and I remember thinking that it felt like someone was like sawing through my pelvis with an actual saw. And it's like a hot saw. And I remember thinking, if someone if someone came in now and said they cut my legs off and it stopped the pain, I would pay them money to do it. So I completely identify with that idea of just smack me in the head to stop this. Like, anything to stop this. Cut my legs off. I will do anything. I, I wish you could see the look on my face right now. <laughs> it really is like, if there is a hell, it is that point at which, before you push, when... You go into, I think it's called transition, where you go from the bit between pushing and the baby actually coming out, and you think, like, the pain is just indescribable. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you can see why people might want epidurals. Like, I'm not selling this, am I? I'm not selling not having an epidural. Oh, my fucking God. Like, my face right now is just... <laughs> and everyone who's been through it says the same thing. So I had my second baby before my friend had her second baby and she'd had an epidural with the first one but then didn't have an epidural with the second one and after we were talking about it afterwards and when I was describing it I was like it felt like a sore and she was like a hot sore and I was like yes that's exactly what it felt like like you can't know until you you're in the club of the hot sore going through your pelvis my my poor mom had two yeah back to back fuck that within 20 within 23 minutes of each other <laughs> yeah that's that's just mean that's just cruel why would why would there can't be a loving god because why would he do that oh my god i'm giving my mom the biggest hug today that i <laughs> i'm just giving her the biggest fucking hug that i've ever given her in my entire life um uh mark has this very funny kind of like imaginary story where he says you know ah uh, but i was pretty tough on her i said listen you do things our way my birth partner has requested this and I don't care if I have to take it to the very top of the GMC. Got it? <laughs> and Sophie just looks at Mark just so pathetically. And she just says, I just can't do this. And Mark walks up and he starts rubbing her back. And he's like, is that better? Or is that better? Yeah. And weirdly enough, neither of those are better. Um, he then says that he's just got a tiny query. Wonders if she can remember, not at the flat that she now lives in, but the one she lived in before that if she can remember the name of the nice plumber, she looks at him like she wants to kill him. And he says, it's no biggie, but gives her a pen and says, if she remembers, could she just write it down? <laughs> and as he's 
as he's walking out of the room, Sophie lets out this blood curdling like. <laughs> That's one thing I really enjoy in this episode is the random times like you'll just hear people screaming in the background. Yeah, that's so true. Like if you're in a if you're on the labor ward or near the labor ward, all you can hear are just random women screaming. And then when you've had your baby, and because like normally all the midwives come in to see your baby once you've had it, like from the nurses' station, and they like both times they were like, "Oh, we heard you screaming," and I think, "Oh yeah, everyone probably on the other side of the road they heard me screaming, probably on the other side of the town." Yeah. Um, so next we see uh, Ben, Ben uh, Zahara, fucking Zara's boyfriend. Um, it's his private room, and Jeremy thinks that like, oh, that's cool that Ben has a private uh, room, and Zara and uh, Jeremy go inside, and Jeremy just looks at Ben, and he's like, oh, he looks like the kind of guy that you know I'd be really good friends with. He looks just like a laugh, a right laugh. Yeah, and then, and then he, he says that he wants to shake his hand, which this makes me laugh a lot when he sort of picks up his limp coma hand and shakes his hand. Is like, oh, sleepy Ben. Yeah, and Zara thinks that's funny. <laughs> sleepy Ben is funny, and um, she just says, "Oh, sleepy Ben, that's nice." And Jeremy thinks to himself, "I definitely don't hope he dies. Definitely not. That would be horrible." <laughs> But he does look like he could do with a nice, long, relaxing coma. <laughs> we then go back out to the uh, nursing station where Mark has gone out to find the midwife. And she says, oh, it's you again, in a very sort of irritated tone. And explains that it's been a hassle, but she's managed to swap things around. And she has managed to get the pool. And he says, actually, now we don't want the pool. She wants the, uh, <laughs> I tend to describe it, the crack pipe, the heroin tube. The yeah, the drug pipe, the heroin pump, the crack tube, whatever you got. I just want he just wants to stop her suffering. <laughs> yeah. And uh the midwife says that she wished she'd known this earlier, and Mark thinks that she might be right for a trim in the cuts. <laughs> uh probably an oddly prophetic joke. I think yeah, I think we just reached the point at which uh where were we? Yeah, the, the coalition had come in. We were about to get some serious cuts coming our way. Yeah, we were two years into uh, we were two years into Obama. I think this was right. I think the midterm elections where the um, where the uh, Republicans took back the House were just about to happen or had just happened. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, it was it was certainly a, a time of cutbacks. Yeah, this was kind of the beginning of the end for the Halcyon days of America. Yeah, yeah. Um, we then go back to Ben's rooms and Jeremy and Zara are having a chat. And Jeremy is trying to wheedle out of Zara how long they'd been going out what, and since before Ben fell into the coma. Yeah, and she says it's only been three months. And I gotta tell you, she is very fucking dedicated to to Ben to have been with him for three months, but then still give him all this attention post-coma. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, yeah, it's not very long, really. And Jeremy asks, how is it going? And he says, she says that he was very committed to his work and that he did the Ironman triathlon twice. Yeah, and Jeremy says, so out of those three months, you can knock off at least two weeks for training. At least and anyone who does the Ironman is quite mad. That just looks terrible. Yeah, and then Zara <laughs> says he loves his dance music, drugs, and video games. And Jeremy's like, holy shit, my man. And Zara <laughs> says, I just like to read. And Jeremy goes, yes, I like to read too because... 
a book, I always say, can be about anything. <laughs> Jeremy's exact words are, I adore to read, which sounds like the exact sort of bollocks that my husband said to me when we started going out. And then I found out that he last read a book in 2002. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... Uh, Zara's Zara's phone rings and she hands Jeremy a, a FHM and asks Jeremy to read the FHM to Ben and um, Jeremy starts reading this like denim yeah it's an article about jeans yeah um, Jeremy gets like super creepy here where he starts talking to Ben he's like uh, if you're not going to make it through, I mean, if you can't, then don't worry because Zara's great and I'll be watching. If you check out in a friendly way, not like a vulture uh, waiting to check. Wait, what? Oh, I'll be waiting if you check out in a friendly way, not like a vulture to check in. And don't worry, I'm not going to start wiggling any of your tubes. Or if you have problems with anything I've just said, then do give me a sign. And <laughs> he does like then he's as, in a coma. Yeah, and then as Zara walks in, Jeremy's like... Oh, I'm in a swimming pool and my bikini pops off, but I'm not bothered. I'll just carry on. And there's like a picture of a girl in like a red bikini on the... Yeah, he says that is a comment from Kaylee. And there's a picture of Kaylee there and her nice bum. And he shows Comatose Ben, the magazine. Yeah, and then he's after he's done talking to Ben, which the really creepy part in the scene was there's like a mirror and it looks like he's talking to himself. Yeah, I noticed um, that. It's, um, it's, it's really creepy the way he's sort of eyeing himself up. Yeah, um, and then the door opens and Mark walks in, and Mark sees Jeremy, and he's just like, "What? What the fuck are you doing?" And Jeremy just says, "Oh, I'm reading FHM to a an unconscious guy," and Mark's like, "Yeah, but why?" <laughs> and Jeremy says, "Because I have a heart." <laughs> yeah, it's the way he so earnestly says, "Because I have a heart," and Mark's just looking at him like he's gone stone, staring mad. Yeah, and then Mark kind of waves Jeremy over, and um, Jeremy says to Mark, "You know." Uh, look, there's no need to be cynical. Just, you know, just because. And uh, before he can finish the sentence, Mark is just like, Jeremy, it's fine. I'm actually glad this is all a filthy, duplicitous ploy. I was worried you'd had a personality change. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and Jeremy says, just because there's something, I'm doing something decent, there has to be something weird going on. And Mark's like, well, yeah, normally. Yeah, uh, Mark says that he needs to be getting back to Sophie and uh, asks Jeremy if he would mind coming back with him because he's not really coping that well. Uh, Jeremy says, yeah, that's cool. He's always wanted to see a birth. It'd be kind of like alien, but sexy. Sexy alien. <laughs> sexy alien. That's the, the least sexy thing I can imagine. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to super hands here in a bit, but I kind of... Or, um. Not super hands. Who's the one that says don't look at the goal? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah super hands that says yeah, don't yeah, look yeah, at the goal. Yeah, in. yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about this <laughs> when it actually comes time. <laughs> so we go back into Sophie's room, uh, Mark, Jeremy, and Sophie all together, and Mark says it's him and Jez, and like we're back as if that's meant to make her feel better. It doesn't, and she asks when the anaesthetist is coming because she needs something, and he says, look, you know, he went mad at them and he lost it, but. The thing is, is that the anaesthetist is not available. He's got a C-section and then he's booked in to see someone else. And she's very unhappy about this, which <laughs> I can understand. And this seems to be the thing that always happens. So with Sadie, I, I, I cracked at about the point where you get to about 10 centimetres. And I said, oh, 
you know, maybe I'm thinking twice about this epidural now. And they said, oh, no, the anaesthetist busy. He was busy all night. He never came. And then obviously with Esther, it didn't work. So the anaesthetist didn't even do his fucking job properly. So I just think the anaesthetist is there for decoration at this point. Yeah, I really like Jeremy too, where Jeremy acts all indignant about the um, anaesthetist not being there. And he's like, what? Tell them to put their fingers out, Mark. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he's just what you need in this situation. Yeah. Um, at this point, the nurse, midwife, I'm not sure what you call her, uh, walks in and she just is like, hey, hello, hello, Sophie, how are we doing? Hi, boys. And she said, okay, darling, baby's doing fine. I just want to see how dilated you are. And Mark and Jeremy are are in this like very uncomfortable, uh, they're just kind of standing there because they don't know what to do. And they're like, maybe some music. Yes, yes. And Jeremy goes and turns on panpipe music and Mark just is like, what a bastard. That's going to drive us all totally nuts. Yeah. Um, Sophie then, when the midwife, the midwife says that she's now fully dilated, so there's no time for an epidural. And she leaves the room and Sophie's appalled because she says she put her whole hand in there. She didn't expect for her to put her whole hand in there. That's fairly unrealistic because by the time you got to that point, you can't really like, there's a head about to come out of there. Like you wouldn't feel the whole hand, but it did make me laugh because earlier on in the process, you do feel like that. No one warns you that's going to happen. Yeah. I like uh, Mark's response is just blimey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> Um, and then Jeremy just says, look, maybe I should go. And as he walks out, Mark's just like, of course, bring the insufferable music and then go. And then uh, uh, <laughs> he's like the 1980s. And then Superhands calls and uh, Mark tells Sophie that that's Superhands and he needs some money to fix the boiler. Uh, Jeremy says, yeah, I called him earlier. And, um, you know, boilers sorted. Mark is... You know, wondering if Superhands is the plumber, and Jeremy says, no, it's his mate. His mate's the plumber, and Mark wonders, oh, great. I wonder if he appears on the Corgi gas safe register or just the sex offender. Yeah, I think that's my favorite line of the entire episode is that I wonder if he appears on the uh, Corgi gas safe register or just the sex offenders, which is very funny. Yeah, uh, that's a. I'm assuming Corgi is like... Uh, certified something something gas installation yeah it's the thing you have to you, you can't you can't fit boiler if you're not on the cool gas safe register it proves you've done some sort of course ah okay that makes sense yeah um so next scene mark is outside the hospital and he walks over to this van and Superhands is sitting in the passenger seat and there's this guy like asleep in the driver's seat and this dude that's in the driver's seat is all big and burly and has tattoos and ugh, much like me is asleep and um mark mark says here here's half a monkey as requested yeah uh, my dad speaks in these terms being as he's an old olden days uh, cockney and i believe that half a monkey is 250 pounds interesting i would like to hear the origins of that yeah i don't know it must be cockney rhyming slang i would have thought hang on let me i will google this right now why is 500 pounds a monkey uh yes it's cockney rhyming slang so the term monkey uh is for Oh, there's loads of these I didn't know about. 
Uh, okay, with reference to a monkey for £500, it comes from soldiers returning from India where the 500 rupee note had a picture of a monkey on it. Oh, there you go. Uh, they used the term monkey for 500 rupees. So on returning to England, the saying was converted into sterling to mean 500 pounds. Uh, the 25 rupee note had a picture of a pony on it. So that's why 250 is a pony. There you go. We've all learned something today. We have all learned something today. That's incredible. Yeah, there you go. Um, Mark thinks that uh, animal-based transactions have never gone well. No, he thinks um, he's going to end up with a load of porno tapes and half a full desk all. Yeah. And uh, Mark is like, oh, he's the plumber. And uh, Hans says, just relax, Mark. We can definitely do plumbing. It's not an issue. Plumbing's just Legos, isn't it? <laughs> Fucking water Legos. Yeah, and because and then, uh, we were watching this at the time with Phil's housemate, who is a plumber, this, mate, this got a big laugh. And uh, we often refer in our house to water Lego. <laughs> fucking water lego, water lego yeah. I, yeah i know uh at my job whenever people start asking me plumbing questions i just want to tell them that it's water legos <laughs> uh trojan sleeping here always makes me laugh the way hands sort of gestures to him and he's just a big burly tattooed man having a nap in the van <laughs> yeah um super handsome gives mark advice to stay away from the goal end you don't want to be thinking about that. It's like the channel tunnel. <laughs> Lovely. It's all about your holiday. But imagine you saw a fucking huge baby coming out of it. And Mark is like, I'd never be the same again. And Hans is just like, yes. And one other thing. Trip. And Mark's like, what? What? And he's like, trip your fucking nuts off. Makes it amazing. Yeah, Mark's like, isn't it amazing anyway? And he's like, well, I don't know. Maybe. But it's more amazing if you trip. Yeah. Uh you see a little guy coming out of there and what's going to happen next? Frogs out of her asshole, milk out of her ears, anything's possible. <laughs> I'm interested in this whole keeping away from the golden thing because um, so most of the people I know who've had babies, their husbands were very much not into it, but Phil was bang into it. Now he does always say he was so when he was making his decisions about life, he didn't know whether he wanted to be a geography teacher or a doctor. He had the grades to, to be a doctor. He looked at medical schools but decided he wanted to be a geography teacher interesting choice i would say out of the two professions but he um he was very into it like he wanted to see it all he was fascinated by it he cut the cord and loved that and he's the only dad i know apart from my own dad who was that bang into it most of the men i know don't want anything to do with this so do you think you would not want to actually see it happening oh my god I feel like that this is going to get used against me in the court of law somehow. <laughs> I think if it was the other way around, I'd want to see it. Like, I think I wouldn't want to be in the room and not actually see it happen. Like, it must be amazing. No, I mean, I think I am going to... I think I'll go down to the goal end. you you got to. If you're in the room, like... You... I mean, this is my... This is my... My, my, my baby. My, my first... The, the thing that I'm responsible for, like... I probably should, you know, get over get over it and just watch a little scamp being exactly. brought into this world. You want to have a look? Like, I don't, I don't understand how you could be in the room and not not see it. So, I'm with Phil on this one. But he, if anything, Phil was too into it. Like, he thought he was watching a nature documentary. 
Oh, that's funny. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. I just remember um, my grandma, uh, my dad's mom was like super into birth and um, for her first, her, not first, but second grandchild, she was at the hospital and she had a camera and was like right all up in there. <laughs> I mean, maybe the camera is too much. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see here. All right. So now we're back in Sophie's uh, room and the nurse is in there and Mark pops in and he's like, hi, Soph, I'm back now. And Sophie's just like, uh, <laughs> she's like moaning super loud. And the nurse is just telling her, you know, Sophie, you're doing great. You're doing great. And Mark just thinks, oh, God, the screaming. Poor Sophie. <laughs> yeah. Um, he says he doesn't know what to do. He can't just keep, like, striding around. Um, and fair <laughs> enough, it has got to be hard to know what to do when you've sort of set up just the requirements. He thinks, oh, if I could just get hold of her hand, it might feel useful. Um, when my mom was in labour with me, my dad, for some reason, decided she would want, like, a wet flannel on her head because she was hot. And he did this and kept stroking her hair, apparently. And she, this went on for some time and she lost her shit and threw the flannel across the room and told him to fuck off. And I think that, that for for most dads, that's their worst nightmare situation, that they think they're doing something to help and it's of no use whatsoever. Yeah. Um, she just kind of starts screaming at, uh, Sophie just kind of starts screaming at Mark, oh, fuck off, fuck <laughs> off. And Mark thinks... To herself, if she keeps saying fuck off, I might fuck off. That's got to be within your rights to fuck off if somebody repeatedly screams at you to fuck off. Yeah, I think most people, most women are going to be fairly unreasonable at this point. I don't know if I've told this story before, but when I was, so when I was in labor with my elder daughter, uh, my husband kept sneezing and I told him to go and wash his beard because I thought that he had pollen in his beard from like, he has hay fever quite badly. And I thought that was why he was sneezing. And then he came out and he'd like wetted his beard a bit and I told him to shampoo it and I was very rude. And then um <laughs> <laughs> And then and, and looking back, the midwife was a bit like, I don't think that's why he's sneezing, but I insisted he like shampooed his beard. And then with my second daughter, he was sitting there reading the independent, minding his own business, and I told him to stop reading it because it was a fucking rad. And if I was in so much pain, he shouldn't be allowed to read the paper nicely. So I made him put the paper away. So I was, I was, I was pretty horrible to him. I, I did do a bit of a oh. Sophie there. He was well, probably well within his rights to fuck off. Yeah, uh, not maybe not go to the arcade, but yeah, definitely <laughs> no. within his rights to fuck off. Um, Mark excuses himself, says he's going to just go to the little boys' room, and then he's as he's walking out, he's like, "Yeah, the little boys' room for little boys." <laughs> yeah. We then move back to Ben's room and uh, Zara and uh, Jeremy are having a conversation about how if he does die, at least Ben lived life to the max. Uh, he did the Iron Man and she once thinks they were in a bar with Banksy. Yeah. And uh, Jez starts trying to think of like, you know, something meaningful to say. And he's Jeremy just says, you know, oh, it's the whole circle of life, isn't it? I mean, if you believe in reincarnation, imagine if he went at the exact same moment that my friend's baby was born. Ben's spirit, his essence, might live on. Bluetooth into the baby. <laughs> I think this was the beginning of Jeremy's life coaching career. Maybe this is when he realized he had potential as a life coach. 
oh my god, I'm so excited that we only have seven more episodes <laughs> to life coaching. Um, but why Not is, that I'm counting down. Why is Zarelette and Jeremy get so involved in her life here? Like, it is a bit weird that, like, I don't know, maybe she's just lonely. Yeah, I have no idea. It's super strange that, you know, she meets this guy in a hospital. Who knows why the fuck he's even there? <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden... You know, he's, like, giving her spiritual advice and, as we'll see later, asking the doctor some really inappropriate questions. Yeah. Um, we move now on to KFC, where Mark is uh, thinking about what he's going to have, and he is a fucking shitbag, is what I've written in my notes. I can't believe that he's gone to KFC when poor Sophie is in so much pain. Yeah. Um, I like this. Mark is walking, and he's like... I'm walking at what I would describe in court as a normal pace, but which I actually think, um, sorry, I'm not trying to be like picky here. We skipped like a little quickie minor scene where Mark's walking down the hospital. Oh, sorry. He gets in the lift, doesn't he? My bad. Yeah. I'll start again. Yeah. Um, so we move on to Mark having left the labor room and he has been in the loo and he makes the decision to not go back in the room, but instead to get into the lift. And he speaks as though this is entirely outside of his control. <laughs> his legs are just carrying him to the lift. Um, uh, and he... I love this. Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just saying, I love this part so much where he's like, I'm walking at what I would describe in court as a normal pace, but which I think is actually slightly than slower than normal. There's the toilet. There's the toilet. Hmm. Why didn't I go in? Here. I'll go into here. Okay, this is interesting. Where am I going now? Uh, and his legs take him into KFC where he finds himself in the queue and he thinks that, I think this is okay. This is something somebody might do in my situation. My wife was going into labour, so I decided to leave her and ever so briefly grab something to eat to fortify myself for the events ahead. Yeah, and I like this. And uh, he's he's thinking to himself like, oh, yes. That sounds wise that you got a chicken bucket early on. And then he orders a chicken bucket and the guy behind the counter at KFC is like, it'll take a few minutes. And Mark is just like, I can wait. I can wait. Uh, we then see him walking down the street, eating his bucket at KFC. And he uh, thinks about how he's, you know, feeling refreshed and replenished. Now he's had his chicken and he's going to go back to the hospital, but no need to run. And that he's got some beans and a sweet corn for Sophie. Probably just what she fancies at this point. <laughs> my husband did uh so our hospital has a costa coffee in it and he did ask me when i was quite advanced in labor with our second daughter if i wanted a coffee and i was like i don't think i really this is the time for a coffee and he was like do you mind if i go and get one and then he came back with a coffee for me that weird enough i did not drink <laughs> <laughs> um next next scene Mark is in an arcade playing Lethal Enforcers. Now, Laura, do you think this arcade is still open? Um, yes, I do. You would be correct. Uh, where is it? Um, oh, Christ. Uh, hold on a second. It is... I had to look it up earlier, sorry. Um... The reason I thought it would still be open is because it looks in this scene as though it's not had a refurbishment since the 80s. And I figure... If it's been open that long, it's still open. Okay, it is Play to Win Arcade. It is on 1 Euston Street. 
King's Cross London NW1 2 S's and Sam A is an Apple. Mm, it does look sleazy and horrible, so it makes sense that it's in King's Cross because that is not a that is not a salubrious area of London. It has a 2.7 rating on Yelp and uh um is open till 2 a.m. So you guys could fucking go there once you're done recording the oh, podcast. Pop down there now. See if see if they're ready would almost fathers fathers to be playing lethal enforcers i guarantee you they probably still have that same lethal enforcers <laughs> game um mark is such a wanker here no normal person would ever think this was a good idea yeah oh this is this is quite an episode for mark yeah this is quite a fucking episode for mark yeah he's a he's an arsehole yeah um so you don't i mean I guess I try to justify it as, like, he's got to just be so, you know, uh, what's the word? Confused and anxious about what's going on that he just, maybe, maybe he, like, doesn't mean it to be rude. Maybe he's just, like, uh, just trying to figure out what makes him feel less anxious i don't know i'm not trying to fucking defend him here i think it's a scummy thing to do i just think for most men that as maybe it's different because he's not in a relationship with sophie but nevertheless i just think your natural humanity would come out and you think well however bad this is for me it's it's much better than it is for her so i just won't i won't be an asshole and i'll stay here and i'll like this is my punishment for being a man essentially <laughs> <laughs> that i have to watch this yeah, um, and then this like kind of weird-looking guy with a mustache comes in to play Lethal Enforcers with Mark, and Mark is a little upset about it. Yeah. Um, have you ever played Lethal Enforcers? I'm going to shock you and say I have not, no. Oh, you should play it. It's fun. What, what is it? It's it's a, a light gun, and you just you have a gun, and then you just shoot people. Sounds good. Well, you're a police officer. Oh, okay. All right. So you're a police officer and you, what, you go through the levels and you get more points the more people you kill. Well, I mean, they're trying to kill you. You're trying to break up their crime syndicate, Laura. <laughs> like, You're not just some psychopath going around with a gun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you're a lethal enforcer of the law. I mean, that's why the game's called Lethal Enforcer. Makes sense. Um, I think I'll stick to Tetris. Oh, <laughs> I was gonna say you should go to play to win and see if Lethal Enforcer is still there. <laughs> yeah. How far from King's Crossing are you? About twelve miles, I think. Oh shit, that's walking distance, Laura. <laughs> Let me see. How far am I from King's Cross as the crow flies? Uh, yeah, it would. It would probably. I, I reckon it would take me about I, an hour on the train to get there. An hour. Yeah. To go 12 miles? Yeah, because it's that... Don't you have a car? I suppose I could drive, yeah, I guess. But you wouldn't drive to King's Cross. It's, the, it's central London. Jeez, okay. Wow. Uh, Alright, shows what I fucking know. Yeah, if I, was, if I was going the other direction, then, of course. But, like, out into the countryside. But you wouldn't... Like, that's not how the trains work. Ah. Uh. Yeah. You can't take your car on a train? <laughs> yeah, it's 12 miles, but to get there in a car, I would have to go, like, right through the centre of London, and it would 
I don't know. It's hard to explain. You just wouldn't do it. Okay. I, I'll take your word for it. No. You're the one that lives there, not me. <laughs> You'd get the tube and it would take a while because that's just how the tube works. Like... You'd have to go in to go out. I don't know. It's really hard to explain. I'm not driving to King's Cross anyway. <laughs> right. Um, Mark looks at all the guys in the arcade and he wonders, maybe everyone in here is having babies. <laughs> Let's hope not, because they all look like proper pedophobes. Oh, God. <laughs> um, then we go back to Ben's room and there's Zahara, there's Zara. Jesus, I'll get this right before the end of season seven. There's Zara... Jeremy, doctor, and then, of course, Ben laying in his coma. And Jeremy asks the doctor, he's like, this is difficult, but if he does make it through, will he still be operating from below the, and he makes this motion with his hand, <laughs> wastel area? <laughs> you mean, will he still be able to communicate with his communication rod, or will he no longer be able to lift the drawbridge, so to speak? I'm just thinking about Zara's needs. And if I was Zara, I'd be like, okay, fucking weirdo, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, this is why I'm saying, why is Zara letting him get so involved with this? Um, also, would even Jeremy have the guts to be this weird with the Doctor? I don't know. I, I don't, I can't imagine anybody being that brazen. I guess he did tell the woman from the history books that he had a wanking disease. So, you know, it's Jeremy. Um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> The doctor says that we really need to see some movement in the next 24 hours. How convenient. Um, from Ben, if a if a full recovery is going to be on the cards. And Jeremy thinks that he, to himself that he's only 24 hours from Tulsa. And Laura, I have to let you know, I am only three and a half. Ah, I'm glad you got that reference after you didn't know uh, Lyman of the County earlier in the week. No, which well, Wichita Lyman, yeah. I... I understand the reference for Wichita Lineman. I've just never heard of the damn song before. <laughs> I don't know how you could not have heard of the song. If you're that close to Wichita, it's a it's a classic, classic country rock song. Oh my god, I've listened to it like <laughs> half a dozen times since then and it's beautiful. You're now a it's... massive Glen Campbell fan, if anything. Oh my god, it's a beautiful song. Like I, like seriously, I, I'm not I'm not joking here. Not even kidding. Like his voice his voice is fucking incredible. Yeah, of course it is. It's Glen fucking Campbell, he's a big deal. Oh, I mean, god damn, what a beautiful voice. I mean, like, he has such a beautiful voice. It's, like, it's insane. Well, I'm glad to have introduced you to a legend. <laughs> yeah, shoot, I'm glad you and your mom are Glenn Campbell fans. I'm not, it's just my mom. I just want that on record. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, he's only 24 hours from Tulsa. Jez finally, finally thinks he's in pole position. Uh, ben checks out, he checks in. Yep, and then Jeremy and Zara go to hug each other, which, again, Bit weird. that seems very forward for some people that have only known each other for a few hours. Yep, uh, and he thinks that, oh great, finally, find the woman of his dreams, and her boyfriend reanimates, and he tells Zara that she, he thinks that Ben's trying to tell her something with his foot. Yeah, we go back to the play to win arcade, and Mark is just screaming, Fuck you! <laughs> fuck you! Fuck you! While killing Yakuza members. And Jeremy just goes, walks around the corner, and he's like, nice! And Mark's just like, Jez, what are you doing here? Also, my question. <laughs> yeah, um, and also, my question, how did Jez track Mark down? Do you think that he just thought, what is the worst possible thing that Mark could have done? And went from there, because it's quite... 
unless there's literally nothing else around the hospital but it's quite a long shot i would have thought that jeremy would have thought oh yeah it'll be in the arcade yeah i have no idea i thought it was the strangest thing ever (laughs) well actually i shouldn't even say that it wasn't until i was watching it for this podcast that i was like wow that's fucking strange (laughs) yeah well that's a bit weird yeah i guess it's just another one of those peep show universe things I mean, it's so weird how when you're watching some of these episodes, shit happens and you don't even think about it. And then when you're watching it back for the pod, like for podcast prep, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, what is that? Why did that happen? Yeah. Um, Mark starts going on this long story about how the midwife said, grab five, Mark. You deserve it. It'll be fine. And Jeremy just says, you know, the midwife didn't mention that. And Mark goes... Yeah, I know. It's because I'm lying. <laughs> um, they go back to the hospital, um, although we don't see them do it. But we, the next thing we see is Mark going back into the room and it isn't Sophie in the birthing pool, but someone else. And there is a very sad looking dad to sit in there with a like a fishing, fishing net. net. Oh, <laughs> uh, um. Then Mark goes to the theater and he's just, um, you know, thinking to himself like, oh, shit. Okay. Um, He walks in there and Sophie's like all doped up and she, Mark apologizes for how long he was gone. And Sophie's just like, oh, how long were you gone? And Mark just goes, oh, like three or four minutes. And then the midwife is just looking at him with this disapproving look on her face. Yeah. Um, she but doesn't blow his cover so she's kind enough to not do that um sophie is off her face at this point and this reminded me of with esther so when i had the epidural that didn't work it didn't work on my spine but obviously there's some pretty powerful drugs so they do kind of work on your mind and i remember the so it's a really weird thing like where they put the needle in your spine it's got these little like it's hard to describe but it disperses the the anesthetic across your like this the what is it called the um what's the bits on your spine called the like the notches they got a name the vertebrae (laughs) the vertebrae vertebrae. yeah yeah like so you can kind of feel it like spreading down the vertebrae of your back if that makes sense and it feels cold and obviously it feels like it's numbing and i had this very clear hallucination when this happened that the have you seen Fantasia? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that the mops and buckets from Fantasia... Yes, that's what I was... Yeah, came yeah. in and they were full of, like, this pink liquid and they were brushing it on my back to make it, like, not hurt. And I turned to Phil and I said, oh, the brushes are... They're brushing the ecstasy on my back. And he was like, what? And I was like, there's buckets full of ecstasy and they're brushing it on my back. And he was like, yeah, sure they are. And um, yeah, and Sophie looks like she's seeing the brushes and the buckets at this point. <laughs> yeah, this is very funny. Um, Mark Mark says, uh, um, or the midwife says, everything slowed down. We wanted to get the baby out, so we decided to come for a cesarean section. Mark says, that's brilliant. I love that. The salad. Now try the bird. <laughs> and everybody just kind of lot. looks at him. Yeah, that's a great joke. Yeah, uh, he... he he can tell this joke has died a horrible death, but he tries to explain it where he's like, the Caesar, Caesarian section. Sorry, I'm just gabbing. <laughs> That's exactly the sort of thing I would say and no one would laugh. Yeah, uh, 
Sophie asks how it's looking down there, and the midwife is like, oh, you might not necessarily want to look, but it's too late. And Mark just is like, holy fuck, living innards. Yeah, cesarean sections scare the actual life out of me. Like, as much as I've described how awful the pain is of natural birth, the idea of a cesarean just terrifies me. Because how how do you live through that? How does someone cut your actual abdomen open and you don't die? Like, it makes no sense to me. Well, they cut your abdomen open and then they kind of move your they kind of move your uh, intestines around. I think. Yeah, like they. I understand like how it works. And the first time I I realized that because because my best friend's a midwife, she was describing the first time she ever saw a cesarean and and like, oh my god, you see the woman's actual organs, which terrified me. But I just don't understand how they can literally cut you open and you don't die and or you don't bleed to death. Like it makes no sense. It's witchcraft. I'd much rather it came out the normal route. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's so fun. And then, um, and then, uh, um, one of the midwife, the midwife is like, okay, now you might feel a bit of tug <laughs> baby's coming out. And, um, Mark is just like, Oh my <laughs> God. Um, they lift the baby out and it's, uh, a boy, but they knew that. And they ask Mark if he wants to cut the cord um, he he goes to do so, and he says that he thought it would be like Sarah Ferguson cutting a ribbon, but actually it's more like sawing a dog's leg in half. It's meaty. I asked Phil if this was the case because he cut both the girls' cords, and he said it was not like sawing a dog's leg in half. It was like cutting a sausage with nail scissors. <laughs> <laughs> so my dad, uh, uh, my dad, his big thing is he has a pocket knife. He has this, like, pocket knife that he really likes. For Whitlin or, and like, horsey Swiss... tubes. Uh, well, it's, like a, it was, it's more like a Swiss Army knife. So right, it has, okay, like, a yeah, toothpick yeah, yeah. and yeah. all that stuff. And uh, when they were at one of the appointments, uh, my dad was, you know, the, the doctor was like, okay, and, you know, Mr. Robbins, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? And my dad was like, oh, uh, sure. And at this point, my dad, like, took his knife out and started, like, cleaning his fingernails with it. And he's like, he's like, can I use my pocket knife? Or can I use my Swiss Army knife for it? Or, do you, you know, will you guys have something for me? And he just looks at my dad and he goes, Mr. Robbins, we are not savages here. <laughs> yeah, they, they have special surgical scissors for that. I'm sure they do. <laughs> um, would you cut the cord? Uh, I think I would. Yeah, you've got to if you've if you've if you've lived through it and you've seen it all and it's all horrible. You've got you got to do that. It's, you get man points for that as well. I, I'm sure. I'm sure. I would just want like uh, uh, this. This. I'd be honest with you. This kind of turned me off. Where Mark is describing it as like sinewy. <laughs> I was like, does the does Phil's um does Phil's dis- description of it being like cutting a sausage make you feel any better about it or worse? Yes, I do. It makes me feel better. Yeah, yeah. He he assures me it wasn't gross. Or, but then we have established that he's got a strange. He was strangely fascinated by the whole process. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark, Mark is uh, you know, like he's like, oh, I thought it'd be like Sarah Ferguson cutting a ribbon, but it's much more meaty, like sawing a dog's leg in half. <laughs> and he should know after mummy. Yeah, oh god. <laughs> and uh as he's sitting there holding the baby, Jeremy comes in and he, uh 
he's like, hey, uh, I know it probably doesn't matter right now, but hands called. It's all sorted. New boiler's up and running, and there's minimal water damage. He sent a photo. And Mark is just like, minimal water damage? And then the doctor hands Mark the baby, and he's like, here you go, here's your son. And Mark's like, oh my god, my son. Minimal water damage? <laughs> and this did make me laugh, because I think my husband would be exactly the same if he thought his house had flooded. Yeah, exactly. Yep, and Mark is all excited because it's just minimal water damage. Yeah, he's going to be a good person now. He's got a son and he's got only minimal water damage in his flat. So a good day for Mark all round. Yeah. And we get Flagpole Sitter and we are done with St. Hospital. Yeah. Um, where do you think this came in my countdown of future episodes? Ooh. Um, have we talked about number 14 yet? Yes. What's the... Uh, are there any of the teens that we haven't talked about? Um, so 13 is dance class. 14 is Drurian. 15 is shrooming. Uh, 16 is Jeremy's mummy. Um, the other teens are up for grabs. Okay, I'm going to go with 19. Oh, so close. It is number 18 on my list. Damn it. Really close. But ah. yeah, this is in my top third. This is a, a good episode. I like this episode a lot. Well, after uh, Das Boot being 25 last week, I'm you know, not really sure I can trust your judgment. Yeah, I mean, that was, a, that was, that was erroneous. But, um, but I will say that this is a kickoff, a funny kickoff to what is actually a very funny season. I really enjoy this season a lot. Uh, there's some really, really good episodes coming down the pipe. I've been watching it on and off this week. Um, I've been trying to tidy up the front garden as we had some nice weather the week before to in preparation for spring if we ever get one properly. And I've been watching it. I've been having it on my earphones on my phone while I've been doing that. And I've been laughing a lot at Series 7. So I'm excited to talk more about it because I not that I didn't think it was good, but I'd sort of forgotten it was how funny it was. So that's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, specifically some episodes in the season I'm looking forward to are Beautiful Mind and Nether Zone. Yes, uh, Beautiful Mind is a particular favorite of mine. Yeah, that's a really good and one. And I do think once, uh, uh, spoiler, once Ben wakes up, oh no, we know he wakes up from the coma. Once Ben wakes up from the coma, despite being a terrible human being, he's a very funny character. Yes, uh, I'm <laughs> sure we will probably talk about this more next week, but I love how Ben goes from like cool guy to twat <laughs> in like one episode. Yeah, um, yeah, he's he's very well well done. And I think it's a shame that Zara, not so much because we've discussed she's a bit one dimensional. But Ben, it's a shame that there's as little Ben as there is because he is he's a very funny character. Yes, he is super funny. I enjoy I enjoy Ben quite a bit. Mm. What else have you been up to this week? Anything? Uh you've been watching did you celebrate did you enjoy Ed Ball's Day? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what so did you do in your a, house for Ed Ball's this Day? Is a, so this is a true fucking story. <laughs> I woke up yesterday morning at like, I don't know, it was probably about know, like 6.30, 7 o'clock, and I had left my phone on vibrate on accident, and you had been on Twitter like liking or tweeting or something, I don't know, but every time we got a notification, my phone would vibrate. <laughs> so at about like 5 or 6 in the morning, my phone just started going 
bug fuck like just vibrating and i was like what is going on here and i kept seeing all this stuff about ed ball day and i was like what the hell is ed ball day and so i did some research on it and i was like oh okay that's pretty funny. it's so stupid but it makes me it never fails to uh, amuse me every year on the uh whatever date that was what date was it the 27th of april 28th of april ed ball's day uh great yeah. my favorite holiday <laughs> it was it was just it was just so it was like so stupid. so stupid so stupid but um ed balls is a bit of a national treasure now so that was it he wasn't much of a politician but he's he's won the nation's hearts with his strictly come dancing and ed balls day twittering so yeah i mean is he does he like uh get into the whole ed balls day thing or is he just like okay okay it was a stupid thing i did like, no i think he's got quite especially as he's off. not like in poli- active in politics anymore i think he's got quite a good sense of humor about it he um he yeah he's talked about it and he's been active on twitter about it particularly after he was on because he was on strictly come dancing not last year but the year before and he was so bad like so bad but he survived for weeks because everyone just loved him because he was such a bad dancer and he was so like had a sense of humor about it and i think since he's done strictly come dancing it'd be hard not to have a sense of humor about yourself because he's not going to be prime minister now but we all love him because he wore a stetson and dressed up as woody from toy story on national tv so (laughs) (laughs) wow that's insane (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, yeah it just it just was like i said it was just super funny because my phone was going like uh, bananas and I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Yeah, I was excited for you to uh, try and work out what the fuck Ed Balls Day was, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you been watching or uh, listening to anything that you uh, want to recommend? Well, uh, I mean, I know I've talked about it before, but the podcast The Dollop has just been fantastic and um, the episode that they just released was really, really um I always feel like sometimes we end these our our show on kind of a downer note, but um, the episode that they just did was about this um, this guy back in the fifties or sixties. I may I think it was probably the sixties, but he saved President Ford. Oh, so I guess it was in the seventies. President Ford, yeah. So it was in the seventies, and he saved President Ford from being assassinated. And he was a he was a gay man from San Francisco, but the thing was is that he was lived as an out gay man, but his parents had no idea that he was out or that he was gay. And um, a politician named Harvey Milk, who was one of the first openly gay men to get elected to any sort of political position, was like, "Oh, hey, look, we could use this guy's story as um, you know a real you know a way to show that like gay men aren't just you know these." weaklings and so he outed this guy uh, harvey milk outed this guy without his permission and his family turned his back on him and it you know like he ended up like basically like a depressed alcoholic and the only thing in his life that ended up ever mattering to him was this letter that he got from president ford telling him you know thank you for saving my life and it was just you know uh, like the dollop has this way of presenting these stories is very funny and you know 
like you're you're laughing and you're laughing but then they'll there's like a twist and then usually you're like jesus christ that's fucking crazy oh, that sounds really interesting but, that sounds yeah I, I like that sort of thing it makes you think makes you yeah it makes you sort of reconsider things yeah um they had another episode that was similar it was about the guy who invented the high five and <laughs> he was a he was an african he was a gay african-american man but he was also a baseball player and it was you know pretty well known out in the san francisco area that this guy was gay but he you know never talked about it to his teammates he was not open you know he is not open about it and then he ended up getting outed and yeah he even despite the fact that he was this like phenomenal fucking baseball player like no team wanted to take a you know openly gay man on their team and yeah so he ended up just living this life of kind of depression after being like this amazing baseball player and yeah so i mean the dollop is an amazing podcast and i like highly highly recommend it to anybody who likes listening to podcasts even if you don't care about american history since i know the big part of our viewers are or viewers listeners are uh british they do have some episodes about britain that are on there as well um yeah i've listened but, yeah, to I mean, a few and what i like about them is that you can just sort of pick up any episode that seems interesting like they're not they're not linked so if you think if you think the, the topic sounds interesting then you can just dive in and you don't have to worry about what what's come before kind of thing yeah that was essentially how i listened to it where i would just because there's like 320 episodes or something like that and um i just would kind of jump around for a while and just pick episodes that i liked uh, what is funny though is that there are some episodes that are like where they reference back to older episodes so that's always pretty funny mm. um but yeah i mean it's just it's it's a really amazing podcast and it really makes me thankful for um it really makes me thankful that i live in the time that i live in now and you know that um you know stories you know like this are not you know as uh, crazy as they used to be i don't know that's it i'm off my horse now <laughs> um i wanted to recommend something actually which was uh, and it's very apt for this episode of peep show which is the it's called the letdown um it's on netflix and it's an australian show um and this week like loads of mother groups that i'm on and stuff and mums net have been recommending it and it is about a, a group of new parents in a parenting group and how they cope with life as new parents and it's really really funny like i say it's australian it's a bit offbeat um but it had me and phil really laughing we've watched the first three episodes last night my mum has got further she's watched nearly the whole series and we all recommend it highly it's really really funny ah that sounds that sounds really good yeah it's really good after yeah so well worth your time um to to have a little dive in and they're like half an hour and i think there's only six or seven episodes so they're not going to take up too much of your time oh sounds sounds good yeah yeah um anything else did you see that the wtaf guys did you see their live show sold out yes i did yeah yeah oh good for them i'm so happy for those guys everything they they i'm so happy for all their success yeah i am um... They've still not started talking about the second series yet, have they? So I'm looking forward to um, 
listening to those when they happen. I listened to the one, I think they spoke to the producer this week, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, I just think that that's the amazing thing about that podcast is just the access they have to the cast and crew. I mean, obviously they live in the area where it was filmed, so um, not surprising. But yeah, I mean, I just think that that's, Oh God! I wish we had that level of access to the freaking cast and crew peep show. Like, I know, uh, yeah, it would be amazing. Yeah. Anyways, well, that is all I had. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We will be back next week with um. Oh my God! What's next week's episode called? Beautiful mind. It's beautiful mind. Is the next one, isn't it? No, I don't think. I don't think it's... Uh, let's have a look. I've got Netflix open. Uh, man Jam. Man oh, Jam, God. of course. Man, man Jam. Great episode. Yes. Oh, fuck. I'm now even more excited. Yeah. One of my favorites. One of my favorites, too. Yeah, cool. All right. So we will be back next week with Man Jam. <laughs> uh, until then... This is the LD brother signing off. Goodbye. Bye. I am in loco parentis. I am the last remaining contestant of the apprentice. I am the home trained dentist. I yeah 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 yeah.